Good evening. Good evening. This is the day the Lord has made, and we rejoice, don't we? And we are glad in it. It's good to be with you all this evening in the, the presence of the Lord with the people of God tonight. It's, a, it's an honor. My name is Paul. I'm privileged to serve as one of your associate pastors here and, and privileged tonight to open up God's Word with you. Uh, if you've been with us over the last several weeks, last week we completed the series on the power of God or contending for the power of God. And if you were not here, maybe for some of them, I would strongly encourage you to go to gracecub.org. And even if you were here, for every one of them, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the messages uh, that were preached. Anybody excited that we don't have to rely on us? I'm excited about that, because that, that it does not end well when we rely on ourselves to accomplish a God-sized vision in this earth. Uh, but thank God that through him we have victory. And so we praise God for that series. And tonight my prayer is that you would be encouraged by the message that we are going to share with you tonight. And so I'm going to ask that you turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. And as you're turning there, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity. We thank you for your word, your word that, that, that does not return void, but accomplishes that which it is set out to do. And so tonight, as we open up your word, I pray that you would help it to become a reality in our lives, to drop the, the 12 to 18 inches from our brains to our hearts, such that it really is working out in our lives throughout this week. We invite you, Holy Spirit, as we've already done in this entire worship experience, and certainly as well right now, to speak. You speak, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21 reads, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. <clears throat> now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. The title and main point of the message tonight is simple, yet I pray encouraging and profoundly uh, recognizable in our lives, and that is, but God. But God. There is, apparently, I don't participate much in these debates, but apparently there's a debate going on right now about who the best basketball player in the world is ever in history. Um, if you're not a sports fan, Right now is the NBA Finals, the professional basketball championships. It's the best of seven series, and you have the Golden State Warriors and the 
Some of y'all are watching. Cleveland Cavaliers playing against us and playing against each other in the best of seven. And on one of those teams, LeBron James plays, the Cleveland Cavaliers. And some would say that he is the best to ever do it. He's got two championships under his belt. He's lost a ton of others in the finals when he had the opportunity to win. Some, some, some others might say Michael Jordan, who I grew up watching, uh, is, is the best there ever will be. Six championships under his, his belt. Never lost in the finals ever. Um, I don't have an opinion about who the best is in that at all. It's just a debate that I hear is going on. I just like to watch and read about everybody's banter back and forth. But there are a lot of good arguments on both sides. But in game two of the NBA Finals, neither of those names were really the storyline. Golden State Warriors have a guy named Steph Curry who might go down as one of the best shooters of all time. <laughs> and he, uh, he hit nine three-pointers in the game, breaking a finals record. So after the game, and they do their interviews, they were interviewing someone from the Cleveland Cavaliers, Tristan Thompson, and they said, one of the reporters asked him, did you feel helpless when you were trying to guard Stephen Curry? And, and Tristan kind of gave this look like, what? Do I feel? No, and, and, and said some things that I will not say about his response to both the question being asked of him and just the idea that one would ever feel helpless. And essentially he said, one, that's a crazy question. Two, no, I don't ever feel helpless guarding anyone in the NBA, however unstoppable they might be. And Steph Curry was indeed unstoppable in game two. But that attitude that Tristan Thompson had, if anyone is going to have that attitude in life, ought to be the believers of Jesus Christ. There ought to be an attitude that we have that says, helpless? No. Because I know Psalm 46 says something about my strength and my refuge being found in God. And that he is my present help in the time of need. So there is no helpless, though tempted to feel beat down, tempted to feel like there's nothing more that can be done on our behalf, depending on the circumstance that we find ourselves in. We in Christ, are never helpless. And in our text that we've read tonight, we get a glimpse of how there is no circumstance that is too difficult for God to turn around. None. No circumstance that he can't rebut, refute, reverse, completely deny, and turn up on its head. We have Joseph here in our text. And if we can zoom out for a bit, go back a few chapters to chapter 37 when Joseph was then 17 years old. He was a young man who was seeing some things. He was seeing some dreams that were revealing the will of God. How many know God wants the youth to experience him? Anybody know that? And we believe that in this house. We're intentional about guiding and, and, and helping uh, our young people to steward the gospel on the inside of them. He was seeing some dreams that were revealing the will of God. And as an aside, our role in that, by the way, is to help them guard Help them steward those things, right? Like not to despise the little ones, Matthew 18 and 10 talks about. In Psalm, it goes on to talk, I think, in chapter 8 around verse 2, that, that, that out of the mouth of children, praise and infants, praise will come that produces a stronghold against the enemy, silencing the avenger and the foe. So God wants to work in our youth. So here Joseph is, 17 years old, having these dreams that are revealing the will of God, yet there may not have been someone really to help him steward those dreams. 
because he went and told his older brothers all of what he was dreaming about, which, if you're familiar with the story, may not have been one that he wanted to tell. For instance, he said, brothers, uh, <clears throat> so I had this dream, and we were out in the field. We were binding some sheaves together, some grain stalks, and, and, and mine stood upright, and, and all of your sheaves were bound down to mine. <laughs> I mean, no, somebody could have stepped in and said, hey, that, hey, great dream, God is speaking, but hold on to that one a little bit, or at least don't deliver it in the way that you did. Or the second dream, Joseph, maybe you don't want to tell them that the sun and the moon and the 11 stars you dreamt were bowing down to you, especially, Joseph, when they already hate you. They hate you because they readily see in the 37th chapter of Genesis that your father favors you. Here we are running around with, with uh, Grandpa Isaac's hand-me-downs, if you will. <laughs> Scripture does not say that. I'm using some sanctified imagination there, and, and I wear hand-me-downs. My kids will forever. I have anything to do without it, so nothing wrong with that. But when there's one brother who's rolling out with the hot, new-released coat, colorful, and the rest of us are having what we have, then there might be an issue. So they hated Joseph. They had some disdain for him, and it says in chapter 37, around the 18th verse, that when they saw him afar off, Joseph's dad, their dad, Jacob, had sent him out to, to check on his brothers, and so they saw him afar off, and the scripture says they conspired while seeing him to kill him. They said, we are going to kill this dreamer, and then we're going to take him and throw him in a pit. Reuben the oldest says, no, do not sin against the boy. Let's not do that. Hey, let's just throw him in the pit, which is a cistern of sort. And Reuben's plan was at some point I'll go back and rescue him and, and bring him on home. They said, okay, fine, we'll do that. So Joseph gets close. The first thing they do, of course, is snatch that robe off of him. That is a visible sign of how favored he is over them. And then they throw him in this cistern. So, so they don't kill him, which is not a good thing. That's so kind of not as bad as, if you will, but it's not, it's, it's not a novel or not a good thing that they threw him in a cistern, which we've learned is about 15 to 20 feet deep, usually contains water. In this case, it was empty. <laughs> the pear-shaped opening might be two to three feet in diameter, so getting him in there and down there wasn't an easy thing, and my guess would be, given how much they hated him, that they didn't lower him down ever so gently on a rope. <laughs> they threw him <laughs> In this pit, they did not value his life. And so Reuben goes off. They, they go to get Chick-fil-A, literally. They go to get some food after they throw their baby brother in a cistern. And they're eating and talking. They see the Ishmaelites come in and say, hey, I have an idea. Judah's the one who brought this one up. I have an idea. Why don't we sell him off to these guys? They got a lot of myrrh and balm and all of this stuff on their camels. Sell him and, and, and then we can go back, dip his coat in blood, which they did. They killed a goat, dipped his coat in blood. His, coat in blood to take back to Jacob to say, oh, dad, sorry, man, somebody ate him. That's what they did. That's what they did. Jacob's weeping sorry for a long time. I lost my son. Meanwhile, Joseph, at 17 years old, is sold off to slavery. The Ishmaelites get to Egypt and they decide we're going to sell him to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's chief officials. So 17 years old, can you imagine living a good life, sporting some good gear, and one day, I'm sold into slavery by my brothers. Psychologically, can you just imagine? First, I'm thrown in the cistern, 15 to 20 feet down, then sold into slavery, and then sold again to Potiphar. 
chapter 39, if we move forward in that story of Joseph, says, though, in the second verse in Potiphar's house that he was, rather, the Lord was with him. So I don't know what was going on in his psyche, but I know Scripture says the Lord was with him. So he's in Potiphar's house. Potiphar recognizes, yes, I see the Lord in this guy by the success that he's achieving, and so I'm going to make you in charge of the entire household, Joseph. It's all yours. So he does that until Potiphar's wife accuses him of some indiscretions of which he was not guilty of, falsely accused, but Potiphar didn't know that, so he sends Joseph to prison where he is there, and while there... He comes into contact with two guys who have these dreams and they can't interpret them. They say, can you help us? He said, I can't, but God can. Let me tell you what they mean. You, you're going to get out, but you're going to die. You, you're going to get out and you're going to be restored to your position as a cupbearer with Pharaoh. Don't you know they both come true? Joseph's only ask of the one guy was, just remember me when you get back to Pharaoh. Get me out of here. Can you remember me? Cupbearer doesn't. Two years go by. Joseph's in prison. Two years go by. He's in prison until Pharaoh has a dream that nobody can interpret. And then the cupbearer says, oh, yeah, uh, there was this guy (laughs) uh, back in, you know, know, prison. uh, There was this guy who interpreted our dreams. I think he could help you. So Pharaoh immediately gets him in chapter 41. We're making our way to 50, the text that we're focusing on tonight. Chapter 41, uh, Pharaoh sends for him quickly, it says. And it says, As a quick side note, if I can use it, 30 seconds. It said Joseph just had to shower and shave. And then he was ushered into the presence of Pharaoh where he proceeded to interpret his dreams. Now, the pause, 30-second pause, is that of, I don't know how you might deal with adversity and what's going on in your space, especially for two years of being in the dungeon, but something tells me Joseph was communing with the Lord during that time for him to get this word, and it says quickly he was sent for, and he just showered and shaved. And rolled on now. Into Pharaoh's presence. Pharaoh tells him his dream. Joseph says, I got it. Seven years of plenty are before you. Seven years of famine are before you. You need to store up. Take a fifth of everything and have somebody wise over it. Such that in the famine period, you can be the storehouse and can sell to everyone in Egypt as they come to you. Pharaoh says, man, you're pretty wise. Is there anyone like this with the Holy Spirit? I don't think so. How about you? At the age of 30 now, ruling over all of Egypt. Sure enough, the seven years pass of plenty. Then we get to the seven years of famine. So it was about 20 years or so since Joseph's brothers are seeing him. Everybody's coming to him, including his brothers. Don't know who he is, but Joseph knows who they are. And he proceeds to provide for them, ask questions about their family. Where's, my, where's your father, my, your little brother? Who else is there? Fast forward a little bit. He has all of them at some point come because he eventually revealed himself to them, at which they were obviously very frightened at what he might do. But he says, no, God sent me ahead of you to provide for you. And so his family, his father, Jacob, who thought he had lost them, they all come to the land of Goshen, which was the best of the best at that time. And then leading up now to our text where Jacob has died and they're wondering, now, uh, I know you've been providing for us, but maybe now that our dad is dead, you might be thinking differently about your provision for us. And verse 15 says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us, pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? They sent word then to Joseph, your father left these instructions. You know, daddy said, this is what you ought to say to Joseph. I asked you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers came, threw themselves before him. We are your slaves, they said. But again, in verse 19, Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended 
to harm me. You intended to harm me. There's a quote that, that goes something like, and I don't know who quoted it, but it says, you'll worry less about what people think of you when you realize how little they do. And there's some truth, and a lot of truth to that. <laughs> Yet in the reality of many of us in the room, there are, if I can say, some people used of the enemy to see you from afar off and conspire against you. I don't know situations in the room, but perhaps you have gone off to get some degrees. There may be some people who look back and say, oh, yeah, I see you think you're better than us now. You got your degrees. You want to come back to our community and help us. I'll see what I'll do about that. Or maybe they see you as a parent with kids who have straight A's while theirs are getting suspended every other day. So you think you're better than me? I've got something for you. Maybe you have the corner office in your corporate setting now, and they're saying, okay, you got a few more zeros in your salary. You think now you're superior to us because of that? Let's see how you do when I get through with you, how many more ladders on this corporate space you get to climb. Conspiring, seeing from afar off. Maybe even in this space where somebody's hearing from the Lord, constantly seeing things before they happen, there may be those that say, let me see if you see this coming. Little conspiring against. Now, you're probably saying, Paul, can we get to the good news? I am going to get to the good news. Because we, we, we can spend some time in that. There's merit in talking about some of what was intended for Joseph's harm, some of what might be intended for your harm. But the reality and the good news tonight is that that message, those messages, those, those intentions are literally on this side of the comma. Right, And really, when we look at those things, when we look at the intentions to do Joseph harm, when we look at whatever intentions we do or do not know about in our own lives, we can say all of that I'm going to look at for a minute because for me, all that it does is magnify or exacerbate or give emphasis to that which is on the other side of this comma, the but God. You intended for my harm, verse 20 says, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is happening now, the saving of many lives. But God, but God. There's something about the English language, I think it's the hardest one to learn, I've been told by linguists. Hardest one to learn. I was always impressed as when I worked in the high school with kids, it was their second language and they had to first interpret what the teacher was saying and then learn calculus. Like I just couldn't wrap my brain around that. The hardest language to learn. Yet we know of the word but that it, it, it basically is a conjunction, if you will, that connects two contrastive clauses, right? So for example, tonight after we go home, I should probably get some rest and go to sleep. But I want to watch the second best player in the world, see if he can dig him, I mean, the finals to see if that's going to change a bit. But simply offers a rebuttal to all of which comes before it. Scripture says, but God, God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, saving of many lives. On Sunday, I was talking to our small group leaders in our last huddle um, for the academic calendar year. We take a break for the summer, and I was sharing with them just what the last 18 months for our family has, has been like. 
for those who don't know, we moved from Charlottesville here uh, to, to, to be sent by our home church, Grace Covenant Church, back to Charlottesville to plant a church, Victory Church in Charlottesville. So I was sharing a little bit uh, with them, and, and, and the encouragement to them was for them to trust God and go. Trust God and go. And I kept saying, trust God and go. Individually, within your small groups, trust God and go. And I was sharing, if you will, how there was a word spoken on this end that we listened to, thank God, and moved. And that whenever we have a word, there's going to be a testing of that word, the second word of deception, if you will, that comes to bring anxiety to have you to question those things. So we, to question the word that God gave. So I shared some of those things, probably too much detail for them, but the point was this in the middle didn't matter. Whatever the testing of that word has been, what matters is that God's word didn't return void. And it exceeded abundantly above anything we could ever have asked or thought. The lessons learned, the junk that's being rid out of us that needs to be before this next season, the, the, the lifelong partners in Christ that we're forming here on staff and with you, the, the things I learned from the small group leaders that I couldn't learn in the book. My daughter getting saved that just blew us away when she accepted Christ. Our serving our parents at a time in their lives and with some unexpected life transition. So we, 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 we emphasized prayerfully, small group leaders, that the word that God gives you, just listen to and go. Trust God and go. That was that context. If I want to relate that to this context that we're talking about today, I'd be a little naive, and I am. Thank God for his grace. Uh, that covers me and, and helps me to, to walk more fully and more uprightly before him every day. But I'm not that naive to think that everyone is happy that I listen to the word to move up to Northern Virginia, only to move back to Charlottesville to continue serving at the university in my role there and to plant a church. I'd be naive to think that everybody there is happy about that decision. But God, <laughs> I'd be naive to think, let me flip that. I'd be a little proud to think that they're thinking a whole lot more of me than they really are, right? So there's a slippery slope there, and there's some issues that would need to be worked out if I was on that side of the coin too much. But I'd be naive to think that no one was a little upset or a little concerned that I did that. But whatever is intended for your harm, for my harm, whatever it is. Let me be the first in this moment that I hope of many of us in this room to declare tonight that whatever is intended for our harm, God's intention is for good to accomplish what is happening right now in the D.C. metropolitan area, in Charlottesville, in L.A., in Phoenix, in the nations for the saving of many lives. You intended to harm me, Joseph said, but God, they, whoever they might be in your life, might intend to harm you with the words that they deliver to you. They might intend with the physical abuse that you've had to endure to make you feel worthless, but God, maybe the sexual abuse that has been endured in your life that was intended to ruin any chance of a godly romantic life and marriage. But God, you might be sitting here having been swindled out of a lot of financial gain in your life, comma, but God, they might want to keep you marginalized, poor, what, but God, 
whatever words are being spoken of you, holes that might be being dug under you right now in your workplace, set to make you sink and look like a fool, comma, but, but God, but God intended it for good to the accomplishing of what is happening now for the saving of many lives, for the saving of many lives. And God is, God is interested, interesting in that I sense him even saying, as we draw to a conclusion, I've seen this before. I sent my son, and they beat him. We beat him, flogged him, placed a crown of thorns on his head, put nails in his hand, hung him. We did on the cross to die, to rid themselves so they thought of him forever. They intended harm, yet three days later, there was a but God in that he was raised from the dead with all power in his hands. Such that there are, you and me, and if not tonight's your opportunity, the saving of many, of many lives. My mom used to sing a song when I was growing up. I'll never forget. It said, have you any river that you feel is uncrossable? Any mountains? Any cisterns, in Joseph's case? Any, any ditches? Any pits that you feel you cannot tunnel through? The good news is God specializes in the things that seem impossible. And he will do what no other power, Holy Ghost power, can do. And the power that we get to live in in this life with God living inside of us can then enable us to do what Joseph did in verse 21 as we really conclude. I'm skipping through a few things for the sake of time, but this will be the real conclusion. Verse 21, Joseph says, don't be afraid. I'm going to provide for you and all your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So when there are those in our lives that come and fear our retaliation, and I say when, because remember the intention is for the saving of many lives. So God, in many ways, I pray that I have the opportunity to show the gospel in this way. When they come, Almost like Apostle Paul in Acts 16 when he was in prison. And the, and the, and the, remember that story? The jailer was, that's another sermon, but the, the jailer would, would, would came and, 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 and they were all freed and he's scared, about to take his own life. And Paul said, no, no, chill out, we're all here. Similarly, Joseph says, don't be afraid, I'm going to provide for you. What if we, we embody that for which we were created, among other things, which was to serve, to provide, to make God recognizable, such that God's intentions... To see the saving of many lives, we could experience. We can partner with a God who is almighty. El Shaddai is his name in the Hebrew, meaning God almighty, God of heaven. If we can partner with him well, we can see what he wants to accomplish here in the earth, the saving of many lives. If we can live with the reality of this, having no chance against God's rebuttal here, his refute, his denial, his completely turning around, working in for the good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the reality of your all-powerful nature, such that whatever intentions from the enemy there may be for harm. And we know, God, when we're pushing back against the forces of darkness, there are going to be some things. You've called us to live in victory, but victory at times will warrant a battle. We're not naive to the fact that there may be some conspiring, but God, we know 
that there's a but God on the other end. And we want to walk in that reality. We want to shower and shave when it's time to get up out of whatever pit we've been in. We want, Lord, to be ready to be used by you such that the intentions that you have for good, we can partner with you on to accomplish that which you want to see done in the earth, the saving of many lives. And with our heads bowed tonight, there may be some of you here in the room who perhaps are coming out of, in the midst of, or not yet knowing, going into what might be a pit experience. And maybe you're saying, I can't trust. Because last time I trusted, I've been in this pit for however many years. Because of that, I can't go there. But can I tell you, Jesus will not fail you. He is a father. He is a father Indeed, And tonight he is saying, if that's you, and perhaps that's not the situation, but nonetheless you find yourself never having received the Lord as your personal Savior. You haven't said, God, I confess that I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. If that's you, I just want to pray a prayer with you. You can raise your hand so I can pray with you. If that is you and you're wanting to accept Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, praise God. I see that hand. Once it's up, you can, you can put it down. Praise God. For those of you who have raised your hands, pray with me. Lord, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for forgiving me. And today I confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead for me. And today I choose to turn away from everything that the Bible calls sin and to follow you with all of my heart for all of my days. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.